This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello and welcome along to the latest Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo. I'm your host Matt Addison with Joe Rimmer and Theo Squires both with me to talk AC Milan, Steven Gerrard and Aston Villa. We are recording this live on YouTube so if you do want to ask any questions stick them in the comments section as we go and we'll get to the best of those at the end of the show. We need to start though at the San Siro where Liverpool made Champions League history by becoming the first English team to win all six of their group matches on Tuesday night. Thanks to goals from Mohamed Salah and Divock Origi. Theo, I'll come to you first because you were at the game over in Italy. Liverpool were already through, of course, as group winners. But the big thing that I took from this game really was that even with eight changes to their starting eleven, it really did look like a Liverpool team. Yeah, they were really dominant from start to finish. They were creating so many chances. And the AC Milan fans who I was sat with, they were getting so frustrated there because they didn't really look like getting the goals they needed to come through. like It's easy to forget because Liverpool made such easy work of this group. But second spot was very much up for grabs and any of the teams could have gone through there. AC Milan, if they'd got a win, it was very much in their hands. But they never really looked like it. Um, like Their goal came out of nothing, really. It was a rebound from a set piece and they hadn't looked like threatening much before that. And Liverpool just took their chances. They created many um but then you wouldn't say many were clear cut. And it's one where you can make so many chances. And AC Milan had Zlatan Ibrahimovic up front, but he was in Kanate's back pocket. He was in Nat Phillips's back pocket. And what really struck me was you think when you've got a player like that up front, you're just sticking long balls, you're sticking crosses, and you want him to get in between the centre backs, winning his headers and everything. He wasn't going anywhere near them. He was standing on Simicas, he was standing on Nico Williams, he was just hanging at the back post. Maybe that was part of their game plan, getting him to knock things down for other players to run into the box and try and get the second balls that way. But they never created anything like that. So it was like, is it he just, I don't know, heard about Nat Phillips being so good in the air and this legacy that he created at Liverpool last season has gone over all the way into Italy against one of the greatest strikers that the modern era has seen? I don't think so. It was just Liverpool's day. And it's one where you can make eight changes and look like that, that's a really positive sign. And it's what you want to see when Liverpool can make these changes. Like It wasn't so long ago that some of these players were being written off and that Liverpool's strength and depth was being written off, saying they don't have the quality. They're not going to be able to rival a Chelsea or a Manchester City. But they were both, they, they all did so well. And I, I took my mum there. I think it was the first game she'd been to me with since, what, 2010, 2011? I believe it would have been Roy Hodgson's first game in the Premier League when Liverpool were crap. So what really struck for her when she's not a massive football fan, she just loves the uh, atmosphere, is how good Liverpool were. Like the first thing she said to me after the final whistle was, from her limited expertise, there was only one team who looked like winning that game, and it was Liverpool. And then when you explain to her, well, apart from Alisson, Salah and Mane, none of those players are starting for Liverpool week on week. And you could even make the claim at this stage that if that had been a Champions League final, only Salah and Alisson are guaranteed to start in a Champions League final. Because if Jota and Firmino are fit, Mane's place isn't nailed down anymore. So it's a case of this narrative about Liverpool not being as strong as they've been in the past. We can write it off now. Like The depth is there. The talent is there. They just needed opportunities to show it. And they weren't given the opportunities last year because there were so many injuries at centre-back. But this year, Klopp is confident with his squad. He's comfortable with what he can do. And it doesn't matter if you put Simicast at left-back, Nico Williams at right-back, Rigi up front, Minamino in midfield, who we've not seen there for about a year, Oxlade-Chamberlain coming back from injuries. When they get this minutes, they are showing what they can do. And 
yeah, it was a game that meant nothing to Liverpool, but to go to the San Siro, which is still one of these big intimidating grounds in European football, and it's a big name, AC Milan, and to get that result, it is a big night for them. And if we're seeing like Nat Phillips depart in January or Rigi in the summer, it'll be a night they can remember and tell the grandkids for the rest of their lives, the night they silenced Latin Ibrahimovic and AC Milan at San Siro. Yeah, Nat Phillips was one I was going to pick out, actually. Joe, obviously injured now, we know, for the next few weeks. But I thought he was was excellent, not least at the Cruyff turn where he sent Frank Kessier flying inside the, the penalty area. But has he played his last game, do you think, for Liverpool because of, of this injury? I mean, what a way to, to go out if that is the case. Yeah, potentially. Um, I mean, Klopp said it himself, didn't he? A few weeks back, he said, um, look, we wanted to keep Nat for the, for the first six months of the season um, because... The, the problems they had at centre back last year, but we can't keep him forever. And you know, I don't really think it's fair on anyone really for for Phillips if he if he sticks around in terms of there won't be as many um, there won't be as many games um, for him to play in the second half of the season. Obviously, you don't sort of have those gimmies in the in the Champions League group stage. You don't have as many Carabao Cup games. They will have the FA Cup, but quite often that there's there's fewer games. So. There won't be those games for, for Phillips to play in unless there's another injury crisis, God forbid. Um, so I, I think it makes sense. I wouldn't be surprised. I, I know the fool would like to sell him, but I wouldn't be surprised if they, they end up sanctioning a loan until the end of the season. Um, yeah, I think you know, I think he just needs to go and play football. And we've seen it with Minamino before where they've sanctioned these sorts of loans. Of course, storage a few years back to West Brom. Um, so, you know, it wouldn't, wouldn't surprise me. But he's been a hell of a servant and a really good player. And I think he, he fit well into you know a lot of Premier League sides. I saw Gabriel Obon Lahore this week was saying that he's a championship player at best. But I think that is um, absurd, really, if you think about it. You know, like this is a lad who's pretty much played the second half of last season in Liverpool's first team, has now played you know a handful of games this season and um, doesn't really put a foot wrong. And all right, he's not, you know, he, he's not the, the absolute cross turns. Uh, at the San Siro side, the absolute best player on the ball. But, you know, in, in terms of his defensive abilities in the air, he's very good. He's a good tackler. His positioning, I, I find, is, is pretty good. You know, considering Liverpool play a high line and, and you know, a risky defensive game, if you like, he um, his positioning has been very good. So you can imagine, you know, I'm not being funny, there, there are teams like Newcastle, Burnley, they could do a lot worse than a Nat Phillips. So, you know, I think he's he's proven that he's better than the, better than the championship. And I think as well that the, the, the extra probably 18 months he spent at Liverpool um, has served him well because he's probably come on a lot in his game, um, brought, it's brought him on in confidence a lot. And um, I think he should get a better move for it and Liverpool should get better money for him for it. So all round, it's been a pretty good time and, you know, he'll always... Um, have a place in Liverpool fans' hearts because of the way he's come in, um, his, his performances, his, his commitment to the club in the past year or so um, has been absolutely superb. So really, really pleased. It's a really good, feel-good story. And um, I'd just like to one th- say one more thing. I, I love that Theo took his mum to Italy for her 60th birthday and then dragged her along to two football matches. So, three football games. Um, to three, three football, football games. games. Three football games. So I'm, I'm sure that you made sure she got the best out of that trip, which is really nice of you, Theo. Yeah, we did so much sightseeing as well. It's yeah, not actually yeah. a birthday yet because uh, we'd have saved even more money because she'd have been a senior over there in Italy for 60 plus. So, so it's not like, even a birthday. So, so in that case, then you we, you just do what you like on the trip. Yeah. <laughs> well, a birthday clashes with our Xmas do. So priorities, isn't it? We just yeah, drag yeah. her along for the fun of it. Yeah. I like the way you called it Xmas there. It's pretty, 
not very Christmassy, that thing. Ah, well, it doesn't matter, does it? But we're we're losing our way here, isn't it? We're just talking about my my holidays and my mum's birthday. I'm I'm desperately trying to find a link from the Christmas do back to Nico Williams, who I was going to come to next. Theo, I think he's in almost a similar sort of position to to Nat Phillips, actually, in in some ways. Obviously, played really well, has done quite well at times this season. Looks like he's taken another step forward, but he's just never going to get in the team ahead of Trent, is he? Yeah, he's... He's not. Um, I suppose we were given a little glimpse into what could be coming in January with the, with the front three when he was pushed a bit further forward. Uh, and it might be a case of there are two or three players who you say are on the fringe at Liverpool that could be kept until the summer because they need those extra options there. But long term, it's going to be very hard for him to break into the Liverpool first team. And I think it's one where Jurgen Klopp is happy to keep them as part of the squad. He won't push any player out because it's one of his biggest strengths, creating this unity, this togetherness that none of them moan. No one gets annoyed that they're not getting the game time. And there have been so many players that have just been on the fringes and they deserve more than what they're getting, but they've still been a big part of it. And then they've been really sad to see them go and they get such a warm welcome when they come back with their new clubs. You think of Danny Ings, Adam Lallana, even the ones who've gone abroad who won't have had that reception back at Anfield because they haven't had it, like Lucas Lever, Simon Mingale, Dejan Lovren. Whenever Klopp speaks about them, it's always so positive. And the, these players are the same. Granted, they're not the same level. They haven't achieved as much in the game. They haven't achieved as much as Liverpool. But Liverpool have grown so much. But like Klopp has said a few times in press conferences now, it isn't a slant to be a reserve player for Liverpool. There are worse things to be in football than a substitute player for Liverpool. Because you are part of something special. You're challenging for trophies. You're playing for one of the greatest sides in world football, in, in the modern era. And just because you can't get in ahead of Virgil van Dijk, Trent Alexander-Arnold, Mohamed Salah, it doesn't mean you're a bad player. If you weren't good enough, you won't be in that squad in the first place. It's just Liverpool built an elite side that to challenge at the very best, you have to be the very best, but you're still a damn good player to get there. Like If we were talking about this squad five years ago without those elite players when it was when Klopp first came in Nico Williams would have played a hell of a lot more Nat Phillips would have played a hell of a lot more you can say it about quite a few of them there that was when they were first finding their, their feel for it we saw Divock Origi play a lot more back then before injury as well and then it's just well what do Liverpool do because you're almost at that situation where if you let them go because you're not going to block them going it's going to be hard to replace them with that quality because they are good players sitting on the bench here. And if they go when you're not going to get the most funds from because of the pandemic and everything, uh, to get the quality in, then someone who's not going to rock the boat, who's not going to be really miffed not to be starting ahead of some of these players every game. It's a very fine balance. And it's something that Klopp's done so well throughout his time. And he's they're still managing to do it well. Like Simicast is probably the best example. He's coming at left back. He's not played as much as he'd have liked, but he's now starting to show what he can do. Nico Williams, he's never going to start ahead of Trump. We say it every time we talk about him, but he's a damn good footballer. He gets forward well. He's got a great cross on him. He can beat his man. And he's just gone and had barely any game time this year. And he's gone and put in a performance like that at San Siro. When he goes away with Wales on international duty, he's one of their star players. And you think, well, he could play for so many teams in the Premier League and do a really good job for them. Same as Nat Phillips, same for all these players we're talking about. If they go to those clubs, they're not going to have these nights at San Siro anymore. They're not going to be uh, challenging for Premier League titles. They're not going to be challenging for Champions League titles, but they're going to be playing every week. And then it's at what point is that more important to you? What time do you want to be playing every week? Or what time, or how long do you want to be enjoying what you've got at the moment? 
grass isn't always greener, but it does feel for a number of these players that that, that moment is coming. They're at these crossroads now where they need to go on. But as Klopp has said a few times as well, when, when they're surprised they don't go on, they're very much happy to have them as part of the squad because they can call upon them and they're not going to kick off and make things difficult if they are just sat in reserve. They're not going to sulk. And we've seen that with Origi. We all thought he was done and dusted in the summer and he's been such an influence the last few weeks. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. We saw a, a few of the, the younger players as well. Joe, obviously, Max Waltman came on. What a time to, to make your debut in the, the San Zero at senior level. Connor Bradley came on with him as well. But Tyler Morton is the one that I wanted to, to pick out, really. I mean, obviously, a starter. We've seen him a couple of times this season playing for Liverpool. But he just looked to me like he'd been playing at, at that level for a long, long time. And we do have to remember that Milan are top of, of Serie A at the moment. Well, that's it, yeah. I mean, I think that is the most impressive thing. Um about him, isn't it? Is that, is that maturity? And you know, a lot of young players come in and um, almost overdo it a little bit. You know, like overdo the enthusiasm. You know, the tackling and and perhaps almost try a little bit hard. Whereas Tyler Morton seems to relax and just play his own game, which I, I think is is incredibly impressive and just shows a, a sort of older head on his shoulders. So, you know, we, we've seen pretty much every game is played, and I think he's had a slightly slow start um, as he gets to grips, and then he seems to get into the game, get on the ball. And then just starts to make things tick over. And yeah, I mean, it's exciting. He's the sort of player that I think he's going to need games. And I think this has been a real breakout season for him. But I think at some point, Liverpool will have to choose a good place for him to go out on loan and play a number of games across the season and just sort of take his, his maturity levels to the next level, if you like. But really, really like the look of him. Um, you know, this isn't a slight on him, but I think back to someone like Jay Spearing when he came in, and I always felt like there was a lot of enthusiasm there, but it, but it was almost trying too hard. He didn't relax a little bit on the ball. He was, it, it was just that that incredible levels of playing for Liverpool is um, is difficult. So yeah, so I, I, I'm really impressed by him. I just think he he doesn't stand out as a young player, if that makes sense. He he just looks like he's part of the team, which I think is. Um, it's very, very good for, for a young player. But Liverpool's academy, is, it's doing, you know, you think about the players that have come through now. Um, obviously, Trent is established. Nico Williams, we've just discussed, doesn't look out of place, um, even if Liverpool won't be in his long-term future uh, because of Trent. Curtis Jones, Tyler Morton, Harvey Elliott. Um, obviously, he didn't spend the, the you know a lot of his youth at Liverpool's academy, but certainly the coaches will have had an influence there. Um you know, the two came on, Max Walton, Connor Bradley, um, Kay Gordon is another one. There's there's so many players, isn't there, that are coming through. Um and and even if they're not coming through, they'll go on and play at a good level. Um so I, I think the Academy uh, under Alex Singlethorpe has just has been incredible. It's one of Liverpool's greatest assets and and probably goes under the radar a little bit. You know, I don't think there's many other clubs, you know, Man City have Phil Foden, who's an incredible player, but they can they can boast the depth of talent Liverpool have coming through the academy. So um, to credit to them, uh, they've done a hell of a job and you know, we're sort of starting to see uh, the rewards now. Yeah, absolutely. Top of the UEFA Youth League group as well, despite a lot of the players playing for the first team during the, the Champions League group stage. So big achievement for them. Hopefully the under-19s can go on and go a, a little bit further than they have done in the past. It's not always been a competition that's been kind to them in previous seasons, but hopefully 
they can go on and, and do that. And obviously similar for the first team as well, Theo. We know now the teams that Liverpool could get in the last 16. We'll bring you the draw live here on YouTube on Monday at 11 for that. But is there anyone that Liverpool at senior level should want to avoid? I suppose the only one that stands out for me is PSG, just because maybe you'd like to, to save Messi and Wijnaldum and Mbappe and all of that stuff for later in the competition. But the rest of the teams, there doesn't really seem like a standout option to me. Um, no, they should want to avoid Liverpool. Liverpool have got the best player in the world at the moment and they are scoring goals for fun. And you look at the other teams, PSG are an intimidating challenge, but Messi's not at his best. Mbappe's going to start thinking about what, Real Madrid. There's even a possibility he'll go in January if Real Madrid suddenly get a bit of cash together, try and get him six months before the end of his contract. Um, you look at the other teams, it's what the likes of Benfica, uh, be nice to get them, just get a bit of revenge for 2006. I know Liverpool knocked them out in the Europa League a few years after that. Um, Salzburg are in there as well. You're going to have to list the teams for me, Emma. I'm struggling to think of them all. But that just shows there isn't anyone that stands out as, oh, I really don't want to face them. PSG are the biggest name, but we've seen Liverpool beat them in the past. Um, I imagine inevitably it would be a game Genie Ronaldo would be up for and he'd probably score in or something like that. But then at the same time, Liverpool should have no fear about facing anyone at the moment. They're that good. They're playing that well. And um, when you've got Mohamed Salah in your ranks and you can make eight changes at the San Siro and it still looks like your first team, the squad's in a very good place. Um, I think it was Del Piero. We've got a story on the website today. He's just, they're one of the clear favourites to win the tournament. And he's not wrong, is he? I, I saw um, the Juventus game going back to my Italy holiday. and That was the day after um, Milan. And they were doing a change team against Malmo. And they were rubbish. They, they couldn't string a pass together. They missed so many good chances. And you could tell it was just putting the kids out. Whereas Liverpool do all these changes and it looks exactly the same. They're definitely one of the strongest teams left in the competition. You, you wouldn't be surprised if they had another good run to the semi-finals at least. Um over two games, I know away goals are gone now. We'll make it an added uh, side to it. But taking any team back to Anfield, when you've got the fans back in there for Champions League, knockout football, um, wouldn't be surprised if they another decent go in the competition. Yeah, the, the full list is PSG, Sporting, Inter, uh, Benfica are in there. Villarreal got through and Red Bull Salzburg. I think that's... Yeah, no one's in there, is there? Yeah, no no huge names in there, but I would personally prefer to, to avoid PSG. Anyone that, that stands out for you, Joe? Yeah, like like you, I, 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 I always think with the Champions League, you want to sort of ease into those big games. So last 16, I, I think it's a, it's a nice stage to get someone like a sport in Lisbon or, or even I think Inter Milan probably be a, a decent a decent one for Liverpool. Um, you know, a decent name to, that, that Liverpool should be able to to, to sort of easily knock out. Um, but yeah, PSG, save them for the quarters, save those sorts of teams for just that next stage when things really heat up and Anfield will be really, really bouncing. So yeah, I mean, I, I, do you know what? I probably would go for Inter. I think they're a good name, so they're good like market to set down, dumping out Inter, obviously the champions of, of Italy at the moment. Um, but a team that Liverpool should, over two legs, um, be able to beat fairly comfortably. So yeah, that'd probably be my pick. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it was a, a nice win midweek then, something to celebrate for plenty of Liverpool's players, plenty of positives to come for that. But the uh, next match is the most important one this week. The other visit, obviously, of Steven Gerrard to Anfield. We'll preview that one next. I suppose the big question is, it's going to be really weird to see Steven Gerrard on the Liverpool touchline. Um, yeah, I suppose it'll be weird. 
and it'll be strange when he's like, um, I suppose if they score and he's celebrating, running up and down the touchline, being all animated. Um, be quite funny if uh, he goes head to head with the clock, like we've seen him have a few heated discussions in recent weeks. Um, remember him falling out with Lampard, didn't he, when Liverpool lifted the, the trophy a couple of years ago? Uh, he, he can lose his head and we know how passionate Gerard can be. Uh, it could be quite interesting between those two on the, the touchline. Um, you know, they're going to be focused on the sides for the 95 minutes, but going to be handshakes before handshakes after. It'll just be interesting to see what the reception is, um, not just from Liverpool fans, but Villa fans too. Because I remember when Gerard Houllier made his Anfield return, Liverpool battered the Villa 3 0, I think. And Houllier, he like didn't, I don't think he went over to the Villa fans, but he was applauding all the Liverpool fans for the reception he got off them. And that was like the turning point in his relationship with Villa. Um, now, it's too early for Gerard to do anything like that. And I think he's wiser than that. He knows he's got to shut off Liverpool and it's just about Aston Villa. But considering his whole life has been about Liverpool Football Club, it's going to be strange for him having that approach to it. That he is just ignoring this, what, three quarters of the stadium. And he's just got to have a little bubble there and go and celebrate with them. But he's a professional. He's been in management long enough now. He knows what it's about. And it's almost just another game for him. I don't think he can really fall into the narrative of sentimentality or facing Liverpool going back to Anfield until after it's done. Like when the day's over, he can look back and go, that was great having that reception off the fans, um, having that conversation with Klopp and just being back there. But it's, he's got to focus on getting the job done. And <laughs> for him, upsetting Liverpool, getting a victory for Aston Villa. And if he can do that, that's when you think, well, yeah, this is a manager who can manage Liverpool one day. I, we know he's got the name. We, we know it could happen one day. It's just whether he's got the talent as a manager to prove it. And that's what he needs to do. He needs to go out, not get distracted, just pick up the results against the big teams. That is how he's going to get FSG's attention and be a contender as someone who's ready for this job. And it, it's a big test for him. I think Klopp said, yeah, he's got what nine points from four games, but he's not played Liverpool yet. Um, be interesting to see which way it goes. The way Liverpool are playing, you'd back them. But Steven Gerrard's got that little bit of... Uh, Inside knowledge, he knows uh, how to get results at Anfield when he probably shouldn't. Um, I think there'll be many interested observers for this one. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Yeah, he's been very clear, Joe, that Stephen Gerrard, that he doesn't want to be the story. He wants it to be about the game, but it's very, very hard for, for that to be the case, isn't it? It's such a big event for him to come back. How do you think that the reception will be for him? And will he be able to avoid being in the limelight? Absolutely not. You know, I, I respect both him and Klopp doing their absolute earnest to try and um, play it down. But, you know, I think he will get a massively... I mean, it'll just be a great reception. Um, yeah, wish I was in Anfield tomorrow to see it. You know, I think it think it would be incredible for him. Um, but you know, Klopp's Klopp's team, and I think that, you know Liverpool fans will will get down to business as soon as the final whistle, uh, sorry, the first whistle sounds. And and Gerard, you know, something I really like about him is he's just all business, isn't he? he since he's become a manager, you know, he'll be he'll be desperate to beat Liverpool. Um, and and you know, I think he'll be. Up celebrating the goals, there'll be none of, you know, he won't, he, he won't be doing that, trying to pretend like he, he, he doesn't care, you know, he'd be, he'd be in there celebrating the goals. So, you know what, um, I think it's, it's set up really nicely, and um, but Liverpool just can't afford to let him, um, leave Anfield as a happy man. The only thing he should be happy about on Saturday is the, the reception he gets. Other than that, make him suffer, um, 
and you know they have to they have to you know that this Premier League title race is so close isn't it that you know Liverpool have to make Gerard suffer on Saturday and have to teach him a few lessons um, and I'm sure he'll go away and learn some lessons if Liverpool do but yeah that, that's the, the attitude that I'm sure they will take and that's the attitude I'm sure they have to take. Should we have a Stevie Gerrard proper chance at the start of the game and then he slipped on his backside for the rest of the game and then back to normal at the final whistle? I finally no, joined be, that crowd. No, no, no. You know what? I hate them. But there'll be none of that, obviously. But, but you know, it's, it's one of them, isn't it, where Liverpool, Liverpool will want to beat his Aston Villa team by, you know, a number of goals and make them suffer. You know, and I think that's what they have to do. So... If Gerard will get a great reception before, a great reception afterwards, um, but don't be surprised if he doesn't milk it or, or give it back. I think he, he is all business and he is right now. He's Mr. Aston Villa and that's what Liverpool fans loved about him at Liverpool. He was Mr. Liverpool and you know, and I think that's what will make him a good manager is that his, his sort of head is in the game, isn't it? And I, I like that about him. Um, there just seems to be something about Steven Gerrard as a manager that, that seems to work. Um, you know, something that I, I couldn't quite couldn't quite accept Frank Lampard as a as a manager at the time, you know, and he didn't do badly. But Steven Gerrard seems like he's he's just made for it. So yeah, I like it. It's a change from him as well. Like if you think of them as players, you'd always thought Carragher would be the one who'd be the good manager, Gerrard would be the pundit, or Gerrard would be the quiet coach or something. But he's really stepped on and you do have that respect for him. Like Lampard, it was sort of pushed through, wasn't he? He got the Derby job and he failed, let's be honest. He didn't win promotion with them. That that was a failure. And then you got Chelsea because of circumstances. There's no way they could get anyone proper in. And as soon as they get a proper manager in, they go and win the Champions League. Whereas Gerard, he's gone and taken on a quite a hard job in Scotland. And circumstances helped him in the fact that Celtic are on the slide. But we saw him how he approached it. And what stands out for me is the celebrations when they won the old firm. Like, you know, when he's screaming down the camera and you can see how much it means to him. Now, yeah. for his whole playing career... We hadn't seen that side to a bit like that in the fact that it was just all about Liverpool. There was no other world to him. And that's why it was strange for him when he went to LA Galaxy. And I don't think he quite embraced it the same way. That was just seeing out his playing career. And then he went to LA because he didn't want to play against Liverpool. But then as soon as he became a manager, there was this new side to him now. Like he realises he's not Mr Liverpool anymore. It's still his club and everything, but he's very much about what he is at the time. Like He was Steven Gerrard Rangers. Now he's Steven Gerrard Aston Villa and he just buys into what he's part of and I suppose that helps when he was Liverpool through and through that he knows how passionate that fan base is he was part of that fan base and he can just link to these fans um, he did that with the Rangers fan base he delivered exactly what they wanted it's a bit of a different challenge with Aston Villa because what, what is their ambition stay mid-table challenge for a place in Europe win a trophy um, it's not as easy, I suppose, to fail with them because you just keep them where they are and it's almost job done. But he's doing a good job so far and it's one where all eyes are on them. But he seems to be very good at taking pressure off his players as well. Like You can compare him to some of these um, other managers like so Guardiola or even Klopp. That he doesn't seem to be feeling the pressure and falling in the mix and he knows what he's doing. And there are these players that can become managers and just be a success from the straight off, like Guardiola, like Zidane. Uh, but they've been thrown in at the deep end at Real Madrid and Barcelona. Gerard's gone about it, taking these smaller steps, taking his time to get up to the big step. And it's been so far so good for him. Yeah, absolutely. I, th- I think with Gerard, sorry to, to dive in, but I, I think with Gerard, you, you can't judge him until really until I'd like to see Aston Villa. We'll, 
be a while yet, but you'd like to see Aston Villa go through a little bit of a sticky run and see whether he can stick to his principles, get them out of it and get them back playing again. Because I always think that is the challenge for any sort of up-and-coming manager. Because quite often we see these young managers come in, you know, they, they show a great side to them. Really random name, but one that you will... Um, you will remember Theo Owen Coyle. Always, I always remember Owen Coyle coming along and everyone being like, "This, this is a really great young manager." And as soon as Bolton hit a sticky patch, off he went. And and we see that a lot with with different different. Do you throw another one in? Neil Lennon. Neil Lennon. Yeah. But you, you do you do see these managers, don't you? That, that come in and they they can't they look great when things are going well, but then once they hit a sticky patch, either their clubs aren't patient or. If they are patient, they, they can't get them out of it. Um, and I think that will be the challenge for Gerard. And you see that the, the greatest managers, like people like Klopp, you know, if Liverpool have some bad results or, you know, a season like last season, you can get them, you can get Liverpool through it and get them back to looking as good as they look now. You know, it, it doesn't just tail off and that's the end of his, his Liverpool tenure, does it? You know, that, that I think is the beauty of the, the greatest managers, even when their teams play badly, they stick to their principles, they don't have knee-jerk reactions. I always remember Rodgers going to a, a three at the back. And if you remember that, you know, Liverpool... Standing up front. Absolute, standing up front. And it was like, it was desperation mode, wasn't it? And, it? and it felt desperate. And I think you sort of saw in the end that it didn't really, it didn't really last. Um, whereas, whereas people like Klopp, people like Guardiola, even when their sides do badly, they seem to be able to stick to their principles to keep everyone believing and eventually return their teams to the way they are. So that, that to me, is, is the next big test for Gerrard. But if you can get Aston Villa into the top half of the table and keep them there playing a progressive side, style of football, that is success to me. You know, maybe take them on a little run in, in a cup competition. But, you know, that, that to me, constitutes success because with Villa, you don't expect them to win a load of trophies. You don't expect them to get into the top four. Um, so it's just about progression and building himself through those difficult periods and yeah, and, and just making an impression and taking some scalps along the way, hopefully not tomorrow. Solskjaer feels like the elephant in the room here. Talking about managers <laughs> making desperate changes, going three at the back, not being able to get a team out of a bad run of form. But, the, but the, the, to be fair, that, that's, you know, he's one of them. And to be fair, Solskjaer was very streaky, wasn't he? He'd get, a, you know, United go on a good run and then a terrible run and they'd go back on a good run. But again, it never felt like he was totally in control. It would be like he'd change a couple of things up and then get them back. But it never felt like they were really returning to a really accomplished side. They always felt like they were overachieving. Whereas I think Liverpool under Klopp, you always feel like even when they've had a, a few bad runs, that it's it's not you know that far away from getting back to form. So yeah, so far so good. Three wins and a narrow defeat to Manchester City. So it's been pretty good results wise. Wise, I should say, straight away as well. Obviously, five defeats on the bounce for Dean Smith. So a pretty quick turnaround. We did ask for your questions at the start of the show. The only question that seems to have been asked is about Diogo Jota. Jurgen Klopp did say earlier on that he's a bit of a doubt. We might see him train later on today. We might not. Going to be a late call on that one. But we do know, Theo, that Roberto Firmino is back in training. He was there on Thursday in Kirby, just at the right time, really, when the games are coming thick and fast. Yeah, it's good timing, especially, we keep saying it at the moment, with the, that Cup of Nations on the horizon, with uh, Salah and Mane's departures looming. Um, but with that in mind, I can't imagine Liverpool going to rush Firmino back. Like, we've seen them carefully manage Gomez's return, Cater's return. You need to be careful with them. You've got the options there. You don't need to just stick them back in the starting eleven. 
it helps with the Champions League that they could make the five changes. So they could ease Cater in, they could ease Gomez in, but they're going to need bodies for this whole period. And it's a really good time for Mina to come back because say he gets a full week in training, then you're getting him in for a couple of games. You could make a start against uh, Leicester in the League Cup, get him firing over the Christmas period, and then you lose your two stars. And he's right there up front with Diogo Jota on one side and Oxlade Chamberlain, Minamino, Origi making up the front three. It's easy to figure out. He was in really good form when he's not been injured this season. He scored a lot of goals um, for the minutes he's had. I think he's averaging a better rate than Salah, to be honest, so far this season. It might be more than uh, a goal every 90 minutes. He's been certainly looking a lot livelier and he's got that fire in his belly, whether it's because the fans are back or he's actually under threat for his place. And we know how important he is to Liverpool. Um, he might not be a guaranteed starter these days, but it's great to see him back. He's one of those few players that probably along with Van Dijk, it doesn't matter if he's playing or not. You just know the cop are going to be singing his name. He is so important. He's so loved. and It is great to see him back on the training pitch, but I think it'd probably be a bit too soon to see him make a, a playing return tomorrow. But then we'll see. Stranger things have happened, but Liverpool have got to be sensible. They've got to protect these players because it isn't just about Aston Villa at the weekend, even if Jota isn't fit. It's about making sure they can navigate the festive period in January as easily as possible. And when you know for sure you're losing two of your best forwards for that, that is when they're going to need him most. Yeah, absolutely. Six goals, I think it is so far for Firmino this season. Two hamstring injuries as well. So they will have to be very careful with him, particularly during this December period. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Just before we finish the podcast, we'll pick our teams for the Aston Villa game. Alison Becker will be in goal, Joe. But what about the back four? Ibrahim Konate was very, very good midweek. Does he stay in or is it just Joel Matip and Virgil van Dijk? No, I don't think he stays in just because I think this is a very tricky game, isn't it? So I would go with Matip and, um, and van Dijk. Uh, obviously good against Wolves, very solid. And You know, I like Konate. I like what, a, what we see of him, but I, I just think Matip and, and van Dijk is the partnership to beat at the moment. And, you know, Konate has to keep doing that in those appearances that he gets and to eventually force his way in. So, yeah, massive and, and, and Van Dijk for me. I presume it's Robertson and, and Trent for you at a fullback. Is that right as well? Yeah, no doubt about it. I must say no doubt about it. Obviously, Timmy Cass is, is playing very well, yeah. but Robertson, I think, has massively returned to form. Um, not that I ever thought he was massively out of form, but certainly has returned to form in the last few weeks. So, yeah, Robertson and Trent. Is that the same for you, Theo? I think it's the first choice one, isn't it? Fairly straightforward. That is it a case of, of all four of those coming in? Yeah, I think so. I don't think you um, rush them all in midweek if you're not going to bring them all back in for this one. Um, I suppose that's quite nice for Klopp that his centre-back options aren't decided by one of them being ruled out from injury. The fact that he's been allowed to rotate in Canate every so often and manage Matip's minutes like normally he's been sidelined for at least a month by now, but he's stayed fit for the majority and touch with that stays the case for the rest of the season. Um, he, he will sit out the odd game here and there for the rest of the season, no doubt about it. But it does feel like when, when you drop all four for that Champions League game, it is with all eyes and bringing them back in for this one. Um, Canati did do really well. And I suppose Aston Villa could be a team that suits him in the extent that he's got a bit more pace. And we know what Watkins is like. We know what Ince is like. But yeah, Matip and Van Dijk is first choice at the moment. Uh, it just feels very strange to 
have all the centre backs fit again and it not be the case of everyone else is out, so these are the two that are starting. Um, but long may that continue. Yeah, absolutely. A role reversal at centre-back. Nat Phillips is the only one that's not fit at the moment. So, uh, yeah, plenty of of choices there. In terms of the midfield, Joe, I think Fabinho, Henderson and Thiago is, again, the first choice. And again, probably the one that Jurgen Klopp will go with tomorrow. Yeah, I mean, it's got to be, hasn't it? That that, uh, Fabinho, Thiago axis just seems to be, I think they're still unbeaten, aren't they, in like 19, 20 games now together. Um, and that just seems to be blossoming nicely into almost, you know, Liverpool's strong in every area, aren't they? But that almost feels like it could be touch wood if they don't, if they stay fit. Um, the, the key to Liverpool really doing great, great things this season. So them too. And Henderson, I think, has just been in fine form this season. Um, really, really good form. Um, so, yeah, I think those three um, provide a nice, solid, dominant platform to go and dominate at home against Aston Villa. Yeah, 14 wins and a draw, I think it is, for Fabinho and, and Thiago. So, yeah, really, really good uh, really good for, for those two to get that partnership going. Is it the same for you, Theo? And if it is, you might as well talk us through your forward line as well. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to be boring and keep it the same as well. Um, I think with the festive period, you might as well have a weekend lineup and a midweek lineup. So maybe expect a couple of changes for Newcastle. Maybe that'll be one for Naby Keita. And then again, for the League Cup quarterfinal after that, with going to these three for Spurs. But yeah, when you've got this recovery time, you've given them the night off, makes sense to go for them. Um, and then the front three, well, Salah's going to start, Mane's going to start, and you're catching us off guard here because you're making us do this before open training. So if anyone's watching this or listening to this later and I say, no, Jota, don't want to play him, he's got this knock and then he plays in training and everyone's fine. It's already out of date. So you stitch me up here, Matt. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'll go Divock just to be safe. He's a man in form. He scored a couple of goals. He, he looks so much better when he's playing through the centre. Um, let, let's give him a proper start. I'm going to assume Jota's knock is bad enough to not want to risk him to make sure you've got him safe and fit for games later in the month than rushing him back now. Yeah, no, I'm in complete agreement with you. Joe, is there any case at all for putting Firmino back in if he is fit or is it just going to be a case of giving him a couple of substitute appearances and sort of easing him back in? I think that's it. I, look, I think with him, and, and the same applies for Jota if he's got this little knock um, and he's not fully recovered. I just don't think with the amount of games coming up, um, you know, you don't want to start aggravating an injury or losing someone from a lot for a large period of time now especially when they're all you know Liverpool have got a squad again I keep touching wood here I've got a wooden desk beside me so but but Liverpool have got a squad that's not far away from full fitness is it so I think you know for the likes of them too you've got a guy in form in Divock Origi there who scored a couple of goals you know if you're not going to play him now when are you going to play him so to me you just don't risk them you have, you have Origi in there you've got Salah and Mane who are banging form alongside him um, that should be, um, you know, you would think enough to, to to go and score some goals past Aston Villa. And and do you know what, Minamino's looked good this season, hasn't he, when he's come in? So you've got him as an option as well to come off the bench. Um, so, you know, Liverpool have got some options there um, for this game. Yeah, plenty of depth to choose from. It'll be interesting to see which player Jurgen Klopp does go with. But just before we go, we'll do our usual match predictions. I think I'm going to go for a 2-1 win, Theo. It was the same scoreline last season, that stoppage time goal from Trent Alexander-Arnold right at the end back in April. Do you think it might be slightly more comfortable this time? What are you expecting from Aston Villa? 
Um, more comfortable, yes, because that Villa game last season was the turning point, wasn't it? That was like the first win after that horrible, yeah. horrible run of just losing at Anfield every week. Um, that's what really kickstarted the run for them to get into the top four. Um, but they've got the players back. They've got the players in form. Uh, I'm going to go for a 3-1. But then I, I was equally confident last week against Wolves writing them off. And they actually, from what I've seen, turned up and put in quite a good show against Liverpool. And it took Origi to step up at the last minute to get a win. So I, I can't be as over-the-top confident this week because it'll probably come back to bite me again. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll go 3-1 Liverpool. To be fair, you would have been a lot closer if Diogo Jota had managed to shoot not in the one place that he didn't score from. But uh, Joe, how do you reckon it might be? I'm with Theo, yeah. Like like you say, I still think it will be like a battle in 3-1. And I think Aston Villa will will show, uh, you know, a very good side to themselves. But, but yeah, I just think Liverpool have got quite a bit of firepower this season. They, they, seem, to be, they seem to be getting the goals that they need. And like you say, against Wolves... No, it was a great dramatic win, wasn't it? And Wolves do look a good side, especially defensively. But Liverpool had two, three chances there that you would normally, especially Jotters, but but apart from that, two, three chances that you would normally expect them to take. Um, so, you know, there was, there was the Salah one, wasn't there, with the, um, the incredible tackle that stopped them turning in a, an, empty, an empty net. So, yeah, I, I think Liverpool will go there and, and score some goals. So, 3-1. Absolutely. Victories all round then. Hopefully that is going to prove to be the case tomorrow. But that just about brings us to the end of today's podcast. Thanks to Joe and to Theo for joining me. And as ever, you at home for watching and for listening too. We'll have all of the coverage of the Aston Villa game across the Echo, Liverpool.com and Blood Red. And we'll be back on Monday with the next Blood Red podcast to dissect the game and assess the Champions League last 16 draw. Until then though, it's goodbye for now. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.